Welcome to Citizens Insight, the new interview series of the Australian Citizens Party. I'm Nathan McKean. Today's subject is Overcoming Australia's Economic Crisis with Rural Development. And I'm joined today by Louise Ackland from Mildura in Victoria. Welcome, Louise. Good morning, Nathan. Thank you for joining us. The purpose of this series is to provide a platform for Australians to have their say on issues that are close to their heart, that affect their lives, that of their regions and Australia as a whole. And of course, some of the things we'll discuss today may shock some Australians um, as we look at uh, an optimistic future in terms of regional development. Now, first of all, Louise, why don't we kick things off by you telling us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Nathan. Uh, I'm a country girl, always have been. Grew up in the Wimmera, went out and became a school teacher. But for the last almost 30 years, I've travelled around with my husband working on large-scale horticulture development all over northern Victoria, southern New South Wales and into the Riverland. And now we own a um, contracting business as well. So, Louise, how and why did you get involved with the Australian Citizens Party? Um, I, you first came to notice for me when I was watching Martin North's um, digital finance analytics program. I hadn't, to be honest, ever heard of the Australian Electoral Council as you were known at the time, but I was interested in the issue of the cash ban because I had opinions about that. So I wrote a submission and then I think I forwarded it to you people and sort of touched base and there was an ongoing dialogue around that afterwards. So we recently interviewed John Dalson, who calls for government intervention to re-regulate the dairy industry. So I was just wondering if you could share your thoughts on the issues affecting the dairy industry in your region. Well, this particular area right up here hasn't ever been a dairy um, se se sector, but my concern is that the dairy decline in dairy is a really strong indication of the lack of investment and, and notice that the horticulture and agriculture sector has got from our, our successive governments. There's a degree of consumer apathy and certainly the strength of the supermarkets, which uh, can dictate the price that, that affects all sectors of agriculture and horticulture. And that's where my interest lies. And I don't like to see um, the decline that's occurred in family farming. And I think unless we can do something about those models, we're going to see the end of family farming and everything will be corporatised, perhaps bought up by overseas interests, or we'll have to import milk. In that, uh, in that context, let's discuss rural infrastructure. But before we get into that, let's hear from Liberal Senator Jared Rennick from Queensland who gave a speech in Parliament recently endorsing a national bank. Governments must stand up for Australians who try to stand up for themselves and provide essential services that individuals can't provide for themselves. The first measure that must be addressed is monetary policy. Australia does not need foreign capital, and the cheerleaders who advocate this should actually take the time to understand what real capital is our people and how they exploit our nation's untapped wealth for themselves and their children. The father of modern Australia, Lachlan Macquarie, knew this when he introduced the holy dollar as a means to fund the building of new infrastructure. Quite simply, 
A country cannot protect its sovereignty or manage its economy if it doesn't control its currency or its critical infrastructure. The Reserve Bank must fund an infrastructure bank that will underwrite nation-building projects. An infrastructure bank is where monetary policy meets fiscal policy, and it is the link that governments need to grow our economy. If there has been a fundamental flaw in the Western government's response to the GFC, it has been propping up inefficient companies and banks instead of building productive infrastructure. A recent report by Goldman Sachs estimates that the G10 central banks have printed $16 trillion in the last two years. This free capital given to foreign corporations should not be allowed to invest in Australian infrastructure or government bonds. Why? Because it's a monetary tariff that gives foreign corporations a competitive advantage over Australian companies. So, Louise, what do you think about Liberal Senator Jared Rennick's remarks there and his proposal for an infrastructure bank? I thought it was really refreshing to see a new face come out and say something really bold and audacious. Frankly, I saw there was a fair bit of sneery response to his remarks, but as a voter, um, I thought it was a really great initiative for him to come up with something bold and um, challenging for us all to consider. So what should the government be doing to support rural Australia, Louise? Well, my, my belief is that it's not just about government. It's about us investing in our regions, promoting our regions and looking at ways within our areas that we can expand because, you know, I've, I've, I feel like we've got the capacity to absorb any expansion because we're untapped, we're underutilised, we have a lifestyle, we have space, we have opportunity that isn't being realised and I would like to see investment in these regions through the kinds of programs that Senator Reddick was talking about um, to really revitalise the whole of the rural economies and uh, you know, give people an alternative to living on the seaboards. I don't know whether you know about Yakandanda, but they um, set up a co-op co to, originally they bought the service station and then I think they've set up a, a co-op with either wind power or solar, I can't remember now but they're making money and turning it back into their economy. So there's some really creative thinking going on out there about how to do it for your region. The town of Oyen has one of the strongest community organisations that you can imagine anywhere. You get, when the footy's on, go past there, the cars are three and four deep. There, there is so much going on in that town and it's all because the community members are so motivated and, and engaged. And they've done such an amazing job and just in the last couple of years, they've actually built their own lake. And that will be a revolution for that town that's otherwise stuck out in the middle of the Mallee dust with no water anywhere, hot and stinking and everything in summer and they've got this beautiful facility now that they built themselves that they pushed for themselves and that they created themselves and went around uh government parameters in some ways to get it done and that's the spirit that i think that that we're we're trying to tap into
I think uh, on the on the question of inland rail, uh, you know, the way I think of it, if you're going to do something with rail, don't be thinking about fixing up the rail corridor, you know, just for the Mali region for Mildura, the existing programs. Think on a bigger scale and go right through to Darwin. Like rail to me is perhaps at the cusp of that renaissance where we're entering a new golden age like they did with cruise liners. People, people feel like they're up for it. So maybe we think should be thinking bigger in terms of some of these programs. Because I feel, I sense that there is a genuine um, mood amongst people to want to sort of see something happening. And that's why I'm saying it would be such a waste if we didn't take advantage of this crisis to, to um, stimulate some of that kind of creativity. So I guess the only other thing that look, I'm looking at here is that they spend billions and billions of dollars in Melbourne trying to alleviate traffic congestion. Yes. Um, imagine yes. spending billions of dollars investing into some of these regional communities and moving that congestion out of there and stimulating the economy and growing those regional centres would be, you would tend to think, um, a better way of apportioning that money. Like, you go to a town like Hay, you think it's going to be an absolute dive and spend an evening in there and sit in the pub and watch the people and watch all the young men in their early 20s come in and you will see, you'll you'd be hard pressed to find a group of young men anywhere that walk around with that much vision and purpose and you know, just self-assurance as you do in those towns because they're engaged in something, they feel um, positive about what they're doing. So it's a different lifestyle. Look at a town like, um, I think of the town of Dimboola, which is where I was, I was born in the Dimboola Memorial Hospital. My brothers went to the Dimboola Memorial High School. I'm pretty sure I swam in the Dimboola Memorial Swimming Pool, which was at the Dimboola Memorial Showground, Regatta Park or whatever. Um, and actually I was reading, oh, um, they spoke about it in this, this book here actually, about the reconstruction of Australia, where they, at the time, just after the Second World War, they went uh, and consulted with a lot of the rural areas and asked them about what kind of monuments that they wanted. And, and, and apparently they said, no, they didn't want statues of blokes with guns. They, they wanted something more practical. And that's, that's how we tended to get a lot of those memorial uh, buildings or, or Sahara high schools or whatever they might've been. So I think that the, there's a sense amongst the people that I talk to that we are up for something a little bit more creative. Um, we are patriotic. We do want to see something positive come out of this and don't underestimate our preparedness to be involved. Well, yeah, the key to sovereignty is a national credit bank. And of course, Daniel Andrews has been hammered recently on signing on to the Belt and Road Initiative. And of course, what I say to people is, well, if the states such as Victoria or the local councils could approach the National Credit Bank to fund the rollout of necessary infrastructure, then that therein lies the key to sovereignty. And of course, our vision to transform the nation is to roll out the great water projects like the Bradfield scheme, uh, the Clarence River scheme to divert floodwaters inland, pump water over the Great Dividing Range. Therein lies hydroelectricity schemes 
and increasing flows into the Murray-Darling Basin. So potentially that region could be a food bowl for the entire world. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And as someone that's worked in large-scale irrigated horticulture all these years, uh, we do a phenomenal job of what we do. If you think about the situation in Mildura, Mildura was established in 1887 by the Chafee brothers uh, at the invitation of Alfred Deacon because he was concerned about droughts from the years prior to that. We are a totally planned region. We developed as an irrigation colony that was then added to as time went by through soldier settlement schemes and since then it's grown organically of course. We produce vast amounts of food here but one of the really unique things about Mildura and this is why I'm saying that all of these ideas should be considered. Uh, the Chafee brothers when they designed the settlement set aside parcels of land known as college leased land and that land at the time was um, thought to was proposed to fund an agricultural college. Since then though we have now 29 schools in our region that benefit from the rents or the lease payments on those land, pieces of land. Those ideas I think are the kinds of things that we should be considering about encouraging people to resettle in these areas and get out of the city. We do have a lot of talk of a whole generation of young people who may never have the ability to afford a house. But if we rethink the model, get them away from the city centres where housing is so expensive, get them into environments where housing is more affordable, family life, and the ability to raise a family without so much stress, uh, all potential things. And if we could bring down large scale infrastructure and um, such as you're proposing with the irrigated schemes, Mildura is a perfect model for how that can be achieved. And, you know, I would put it to people, don't ever think that you can't uh, have the same degree of lifestyle here as you can in the city. We've got plenty of coffee shops. We have a fabulous climate. We have a good lifestyle. And our economy has all kinds of potential to expand. Absolutely. Louise, you wrote a submission to Treasury last year opposing the currency restrictions on the use of cash bill. Now, you actually provided a submission there with some key points that I just wanted to cover today. So the first one being farmers and labourers using cash because they have been squeezed into it by retailers like Coles and Woolworths. So it's a question of survival. So I just wanted you to uh, provide your thoughts on that. Well, one of my points was that along with all of the increases in input costs such as electricity and water that have just gone up exponentially in the last few years, the massive costs of labour uh, and um, the low price that you get for the sale of your product is pushing a lot of farmers into areas where they're trying to cut corners like that. So, but the other point that I wanted to make there was a lot of this came not far after they changed the rate that um, horticultural workers were paid as a consequence of their changes to the backpacker tax. And not only did they ex ex uh, increase those sorts of things, they then decided that any superannuation that those workers had accumulated, they would take 65% of it when that person left the country. So my point was that that 
then gives the incentive for workers and dodgy contractors to come to any number of cash arrangements to get around those things. So my point was maybe we need to be starting there and looking at it, uh, rethinking that model and um, asking ourselves whether that's just incentivised um, dodgy practices. So another point you raise is there are major labour shortages in rural work, lack of retention of workers, difficulties in sponsoring and investing in labour force. Yeah, well, I spent uh, about four years now lobbying government for the opportunity for our business to be able to invest in people that we find that um, show themselves as being really valuable to our um, company and who want to stay. We have never really had any interest from residents, permanent residents or Australians wanting to do the work we do. And by the way, we go, we go out and prune trees. It's not for everybody. Sometimes it's really hot. Sometimes it's really cold. We go to lots of isolated areas. It's not a highly desirable um, career move for as far as a lot of Australians are concerned. So we are stuck with that overseas cohort. But when we find really valuable people that can take on supervisory roles and become the core group of our staff, we would like to be able to sponsor them. And that has been previously denied us because of conditions around skills and various other complications, it's all too much to go into. So my point is to the government that if we could uh, invest in that core group of people, we wouldn't need so many overseas workers. We might be able to reduce our reliance on that and without that, co that constant turnover and the complications around working with that model, we might be able to push through some of these issues of exploitation. But that's not going to happen either unless the government enforces the existing laws. Now, if you look at Fair Work, for example, um, our nearest Fair Work office is in Bendigo. But the task force identified Mildura as being, you know, allegedly such a hotbed of, of this kind of exploitation. Um, but there's no fair work office here. So my point was nothing's going to change unless you enforce the existing laws and bringing in a new law such as the banning of cash isn't going to make the slightest bit of difference. And of course, Louise, you and I have discussed the National Farmers Federation lobby in the government for the Pacific Islander labour scheme. Do you think that those efforts were effective in terms of providing a labour force to regional growers? Uh, a lot of people are taking them up and I would argue that in some ways that's because of a lack of um, an alternative and the government has an agenda there that, that fits around um, you know, solving two problems. We shut the farmers up and then they get to pay all the aid to the Pacific Island nations. It's not a model that we had any success with. Um, in fact, I called it an expensive lottery. There are some people that are quite happy with the program, but uh, my point was always that there are other businesses who would like to be able to uh, tailor a solution that doesn't involve that program. And uh, that, that's where I'm coming from. Yes, well, in your submission to Treasury on the cash ban bill, you made this note here, reliance on foreign workers and cheaper labour this is a systemic problem caused by governments and they let it happen.
180,000 ABNs issued to tourist visa holders. What are your thoughts on that? 180,000 ABN numbers in one year to people who hold a tourist visa who aren't allowed to have one. Now, doesn't that tell you that something dramatically is wrong with the um, processes around the granting of those? And the obvious outcome is going to be things like sham contracting and um, dodgy practices. Now, farmers weren't responsible for that. And that level of incompetence just seems to be astounding to my thoughts now. If that's 180,000 ABNs in one year, how many do they give out? And what are their processes around how they determine who should have one? Um, stopping people using cash. Do you think Australian Border Force are doing their job in terms of compliance? Uh, in terms of conducting checks on properties and so forth in your region? Border Force tends to do a raid every now and then and they'll pick up somebody here and there um, and make an example of them. Whether there's any real systematic monitoring of what goes on, I doubt it. Uh, and th that's not really the issue. The issue is that the farmers need that labour at intensive periods of harvest or, or planting or whatever. So the government needs to be working more cooperatively with them to work out ways that we can ensure that that labour's there rather than coming up and doing a big raid and making an example of somebody. Yes, and of course there was another point you made there in your submission, indifference to high level crimes, money laundering, example, Crown Casino, mismanaging government assets. So would you care to elaborate on that? Well, my point was that uh, they, they, they made a lot of comments in the task force report about how a hairdresser taking cash is part of the problem. Someone working in the gig economy, walking someone's dog or washing their car or on air tasker providing some other service who takes it in cash is part of the um, problem. My point was that they're not part of the problem. If they have the enterprise and the energy and the initiative to get out and do things like that, we should be rewarding that. The large scale tax avoidance and big time money laundering and the problems around cash are not operating at that level. So my point was, turn your attention to that. Very good. So what's your message to people listening? What should they do and how can they get involved in the political process? I mean, of course, this is how we defeated the cash ban bill was by Australians taking the personal responsibility to join the fight. Uh, what's your message to people out there who want to make a difference? I was watching the ABC News this morning. Today's the 1st of July. David Littleproud said on, in an interview this morning on ABC television to the States, we have money, come to us and come and get some. So the challenges out there in terms of infrastructure, in, and he was referring specifically to dams, I put that to local economies to say, well, he made the statement, let's get together and say, what do we need in our regions? Talk about where we think we've got the capacity to offer to stimulate the economy, and let's start agitating for it. 
I would love to see people make far more use of their line members, such as what, and pressuring through the submission processes like we've done with the cash ban bill, because it seems to have definitely shown that that made a very big difference to the progress of that particular law. Locally, I have been working for, must be almost five years now, lobbying around issues related to visa conditions for overseas workers to overcome some of those problems we discussed earlier in relation to the labour force for horticulture. And it's taken a very, very long time, but I believe through people like myself and all the usual representative groups such as the National Farmers and the Victorian Farmers Federations and other growers groups, we've finally made some progress to getting our voices heard about what we really need for our industry. And at the same time, if they engage with us around those issues, we may be able to alleviate some of the other problems that we discussed about exploitation. So my message is, as communities, we have a voice, we have processes, we have ideas, we have innovative thinking, we have people who are prepared to get out and have a dip because tell me, do you know anyone apart from farmers who get up every day and face the challenges that farmers face? So I, I think this is an, a, a fabulous opportunity for this whole country to rethink a lot of things. And it would be such a waste if we didn't take that opportunity on and change some of the way that, ways that we think about doing business. As far as I'm concerned, as someone that's watching all of this unfold, there's no dumb ideas. Everybody should be saying, hey, this is what we think we can do in our region. This is what we think we can have happen at our area. And not underestimate the value of ringing your local member, writing to various politicians, doing a submission, being involved in parties, and bringing your opinion out. Because if, if we don't voice our opinion, we'll take whatever they decide to dish up, and it might not be palatable. So I, I would urge everybody to, particularly the young people um, who might be attracted to protests and various other um, social movements that we've seen broadcast lately, to also consider the standard methods um, and perhaps have a go at writing a submission, writing to your member and voicing what you think the solution is also. And of course, I'd like to see local chambers of commerce and industry get more involved in the political process, local progress associations. Uh, so, I mean, it, it comes down to the fact that we have to expand credit into the physical economy to create the hundreds of thousands of jobs that we need to bolster our economic recovery post the coronavirus outbreak. So as Louise suggested earlier, get involved in the political process, have a look at the Citizens Party website, citizensparty.org.au where you can join the campaign, sign the petition supporting the National Bank. Bob Catter will introduce the bill into Parliament, hopefully in the next sitting in August. And of course, you can call us on 1800 636 432 and request a copy of our newsletter, the Australian Alert Service. And Louise, thank you very much for joining us today and stay tuned for another episode of Citizens Insight. Thanks, Nathan.